As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. I had to go through a period of practicing honesty like yes. literally making it a daily practice of just telling the truth about whatever it was mm -hmm. because i had become so conditioned towards just like little things of misinformation little embellishments little right. like mistruths mm. it was really wild and when i started to get when i started to pay attention to it i was like damn like i lie about the stupidest crap that just yeah. doesn't even matter yeah. and so i really had to practice that for a long time and it took me a long time because i was so used to hiding parts yeah. of myself and then you decided to partner with someone who doesn't miss a beat yeah right uh-huh lord right like any embellishment <laughs> any little thing that's just slightly off I'm like, Zoom. yeah you're like a psychological <laughs> lawyer sometimes <laughs> welcome to this keeps happening hosted by me vienna farron i'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and the author of the national best-selling book the origins of you now, normally I speak with an anonymous guest every week, but this is a special called Named. We're going a little off the book here. In this periodic series, I'll be joined by my dear friends and incredible thought leaders who will bravely share their origin wounds and what their path towards healing has been. My guest today is the one and only Connor Beaton, which is meaningful because you're my husband. I feel like introducing you on this is <laughs> I just payback for every time you intro me. I should have just started with, hello, husband. That's right. right? I was really expecting, hello, husband. Rewind the tape. <laughs> Rewind the tape. Hello, husband. Hello, wife. Welcome to This Keeps Happening. Honored to have you here, excited to have you here, excited to flip the script and have you be in the hot seat a little bit. Connor Beaton, the host of the Man Talks podcast, the founder of Man Talks, uh, which is a mental health organization for men. You do such beautiful work with men. It's extraordinary. And you're also the author of Men's Work. There's a lot of men's in all your stuff. That's, yeah, it's that's, very that's direct, focus. direct marketing. That's um, right. <laughs> but I, I don't think that you get to that place where you are being in conversation and challenging and guiding and diving into the depths of all the things men without doing a lot of your own work. And I, I do know that to be true, obviously, personally, how much you've dug into your past. And, you know, my show is about origin wounds and moving through them. And for many people who come on the show, we talk about 
the patterns, the repetition, why certain things continue to keep happening in their lives or in their relationships. Today, we're going to talk about an origin wound for you, and we'll kind of see where it goes, but obviously want to understand how it came along with you into your adult life and your relationships, and Mm. I think how you and I have probably navigated some of that together relationally as well. What are you talking about? It never showed up in our relationship. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, never. Um, where would you like to start or what's, you know, is there one that maybe stands out to you or a moment in life that, yeah, when you look back on it is significant that maybe shifted the trajectory of your life and your way Mm. of navigating the world as a little human and how you internalize some of that? Yeah, I mean, the most obvious one is or was my, my parents' divorce. They separated when I was three and it was, it was pretty rough, you know, like I didn't really understand what was going on. One of my earliest memories as I've come to realize through some of my psychological digging, uh, one of my first memories that I had known about for a long time, but sort of just didn't really think about it, you know, Uh, but one of my first memories was actually hearing an argument happening in the house and being very, you know, again, I was like three, three and a half and getting out of bed and coming down the stairs and witnessing what I would come to realize was the final argument Mm. where I don't, and I don't remember the logistics or the details of it, but essentially like there was a big argument. My dad left and, you know, my mom was devastated and I didn't really know what was going on. And that was one of my first memories. And so this separation created a a kind of division within me where what would start to unfold was a internal feeling or belief that somehow I had something to do with the separation, mm-hmm. that I had something to do with the divorce. And it would become more predominant with my relationship with my dad, where I would start to feel like there was like there was something wrong with me or there's something inside of me or there was something I don't know if defective's too dramatic of a word but that there was some something about me that had caused him to go away. Yeah, like if I if I was better and yeah. and maybe that word is, you know, not not a great descriptor but yeah, if I was better in to some degree then you would have stuck around. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I was a big I had a big heart as a kid. I was, you Mm -hmm. know, just this big ball of feelings. And, you know, I think if you, if you had met me as a child, you would have met somebody who was just like, had a real zest for life, was super happy, loving, caring, mischievous, Mm -hmm. getting into trouble all the time because I thought it was funny. You know, you can, you can probably see the similarity between our son and (laughs) and little me. Um, But I really felt deeply and heavily. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, as the years went by, I didn't understand why I couldn't be with my dad every day. Mm-hmm. And it was devastating for me. And slowly over time, not because he did anything, you know, I got to see him every other weekend and I got to spend time with him and the family that he was building and 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 whatnot. But I just, you know, there was nights where I was living with my mom and, I, and she, you know, got remarried and I was with her and my stepdad. And it was just painful 
that he wasn't around, that my dad wasn't around. And I remember having many, many nights where I was almost inconsolable because I was, you know, I wanted him to be around. I wanted him to be putting me to bed. I wanted him to be telling me stories. And I remember that very vividly. And over time, what started to happen, because, you know, developmental psychology, we as kids are little bundles of egos. I started to really personalize that and questions started to creep in of like, what's wrong with me that you don't want to be around? Yeah. And that would become the sort of first seed of my worthiness wound, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. to use your language, where I really started to question my worth and my value because I couldn't comprehend right. because I loved this person so much. And I was like, well, if you don't want to be around me, if you can't be around me or you're choosing not to be around me, it must mean that there's something up with me that is causing this separation. A lot of times you'll hear people, like adults will remind adults who are going through something like this to be explicit with their children, to let them know that this isn't because of them. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious if that was ever something that you remember hearing. And and it's possible that they did say that to you and and you don't recollect that. But I'm, yeah, I just wonder like the internal world, right, of like, making the story what you believe it to be versus having conversations. And obviously when you're three, I mean, that's very different than when you're six or seven years old um, and what you're able to comprehend and really understand. But yeah, I guess I'm curious if you remember ever maybe asking that question to either of your parents. And I mean, I think a lot of the like really intense emotionality that I remember was around like five or six mm-hmm. because it's when I started to realize that my dad got remarried yeah. to my now stepmom. My mom got remarried to my now stepdad. And I was like, oh, wait, like what's happening? You know, and yeah. it felt very out of my control. Mm-hmm. And I, I do recall my mom in her efforts to try and console me as a boy saying, like, this is not your fault and this isn't, mm-hmm. you know, nothing to do with you. And mom and dad, this, and, you know, trying to explain the relationship. But, you know, I think there's something about being in that place as a kid. And I don't know if my dad and I ever had those conversations. Mm-hmm. I think maybe, I, like I, I like to think so. I'm I'm sure that some of those conversations happened, but I think my mom did try and console me, but it was just didn't really land. I think because I had internalized it so heavily yeah. by that point that it was hard to believe anything but what I was feeling. It's Im- possible to contextualize it yeah right as a kid what i mean by that is you can't understand the context so even when a parent is saying this has to do with us you right. know and not you and here are the complicated things that are happening in our relationship right it's like yeah children can't contextualize things and you can only you know personalize it to some mm-hmm. degree and so yeah it i guess puts you on the path of personalizing. You've talked about this before. This is not new, but I'm curious what it's like to share it here. And maybe you've talked about it openly before too, but what it's like to just name that and know that this is something that, you know, people will hear. Mm. I mean, there's many things. I think part of it is, I hope that it's helpful in some ways. You know, I think sometimes when we, go through these types of experiences 
you know, whether we're a parent, right? I mean, I think about, you know, our son now with code and, you know, trying to be somewhat protective of him and understanding that sometimes the things that he's going through are just the things that he's going through. And I think there's, as I share it, I definitely find myself wanting to make sure that we get to a place where I talk about the impact that it had and then how I moved through it yeah. because it did, if it did affect me, yeah. you know, it did impact me. And I've worked with men for over a decade now. And one of the most interesting things that continues to happen when I work with guys is like, why do we have to go and talk about the past? Yeah. And I really want, I always want to make a case for the understanding that your past creates your present and creates your future. That's an entire section of my book, right, literally yes. labeled that. <laughs> and so we, so we like, we have to go back Yeah. and it's, and it's challenging and it sucks sometimes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think for a number of years, I didn't want to believe or admit that the stuff that happened earlier on in my life really had the impact that it did. Why do you think that is? Like, what do you think makes it so hard to be like, yeah, that that did something? I think in some ways there's like, there's something about being a man and wanting to prove almost that we can move through things. And I'm, I'll just speak from my own experiences. Like there was something within me that was like, I wanna show people that those things didn't impact me. Mm -hmm. I wanna just move through them in a way where I wasn't affected, mm -hmm. where I'm able to just soldier forward, march on, you know, that those things didn't leave a lingering impact and that there's something that it's almost like a proving ground, yeah. right? Which I do think can be important. There's something valuable about that mentality, but it's not to be found in the avoidance, it's to be found in the confrontation. Mm -hmm. That's what I learned. And so I I tried to find that strength and that courage and that, you know, all of those attributes that I was wanting to develop as a young man mm -hmm. by avoiding the painful things that I had gone through. When I developed those skills and those attributes by actually confronting the painful things that I yeah. went through. I smile because that's a very similar story to mine. Mm. And I think what was really scary about it, because I, too, sort of operated in the world for a long time, pretending like I was unaffected by anything. And I know that a big part of it was that if I had admitted that I had been affected, it would mean that I would need to feel. And for so long, I had avoided feeling because my experience was that there wasn't enough space for my feelings. Mm. And so, you know, I think we many people can probably relate to this for a number of different reasons, right? Like, why do we get to a place where we don't think that there's space for our emotion or that we want to pretend like we're unaffected or unbothered by things and that we can just keep our eyes moving forward, eyes on the prize, et cetera, et cetera. And I think ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, it can feel really scary to turn back and to look because okay, what am I going to find and what am I going to feel and what am I going to experience and how am I going to feel towards these people? And sometimes we are either, you know, protecting ourselves from whatever we think that experience is or protecting other people from us being angry with them or resentful towards them. Yeah. Can I add something there? Yeah. Because for me, it wasn't that I was avoiding what I was feeling or trying to avoid my feelings about it. And it, it's taken me a long time to actually understand this part. 
It's that I was trying to be bigger than mm. or stronger than the experience that I had growing up. I was trying to be bigger than the pain that I experienced. I was trying to be stronger. I was trying to like outmuscle mm -hmm. that experience. Yeah, like, yeah, this happened, but I am bigger than it. Yeah. It can't take me down. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. There is something I think beneficial about that, you know, like the the difference between post-traumatic stress and post-traumatic mm -hmm. growth. Like there, sure. there's a lot of research that says that sometimes we can respond to traumatic events and actually come out the other side more capable and mm -hmm. stronger and, and better because of this very traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. But I think in general, we have to have, what I've learned is that we have to have a willingness to confront mm -hmm. the hardship that we actually experienced. And for me, it was like, I'm going to outmuscle this thing and I'm going to pack it away yeah. and I'm going to force it into submission. And I think that that's what... <laughs> didn't work for you. <laughs> didn't work very well, right? Because it it's like playing yeah. whack-a-mole, right? It just popped up in all of these different ways that it's like, oh, I can't contain this. Yeah. And then it, it got to this point where it was having such a destructive impact on my mm -hmm. life that I couldn't avoid it any longer. And I think that's the case for a lot of guys. Yeah. Well, I think maybe what I'm hearing you say, though, is that the confrontation, right? Like getting to a place where you finally said, I need to confront these things, was the pathway, the gateway for you to actually become bigger than the thing, as opposed yeah. to the, you know, avoidance of it, or, you know, maybe how you're describing it of just like persisting, mm -hmm. you know, in life. Okay. So then let's talk about the ways that it came for you anyway. Ugh. <laughs> so, in what ways did the avoidance of the wound destroy? And maybe that feels like a big word, but I think there is meant there's meant to be a charge, right? Like that that stuff becomes destructive mm -hmm. in our lives, right? To us, to the people around us, and obviously to differing degrees, I think, for different folks. But how maybe in what ways did it show up? in the most clear ways to you first? One was just really lacking self-worth and self-value. Mm -hmm. Like how I perceived myself was someone not capable, pretty insecure, not a high level of confidence. And because of that, my ability to 
to tackle things growing up really struggled. I struggled academically. I didn't feel like I was particularly good at much of anything. You know, I was kind of mediocre at best at a lot of things. And that was brutal for me. You know, I wanted to have proficiency and excellence even as a boy. I wanted to feel competent and good at something. But here I was struggling in in most areas in my life. Mm -hmm. And it was really tough. And so what ended up starting to happen was I went through a transition. I went from a Catholic school system from grade one to nine and switched when I went to high school. And I, I went into a high school where I knew almost nobody. I knew two friends and I went to like a public Protestant high school. And in between grade nine and grade 10, because in Canada, you know, high school is grade 10, 11, 12, mm-hmm. I got a haircut, dressed a little <laughs> differently. So instead of having like the crappy bull mushroom <laughs> cut, I you know, did the like 98 degrees uh-huh. spiky, spiky hair, hair with you the, get frosted tips. I got the oh, frosted yeah. tips, okay. you know, and had the like Green Day shirt and the uh-huh. ripped, you know, whatever. Jean, ripped Jenga, jeans. What and were they called? Jenko jeans. Something like that. But I had like the chain hanging yeah. from the front to the it's back, connecting the wall. And all of a sudden I started to get a lot of attention from from girls in the high school. F- moment. The fact yeah. that that <laughs> description the, is yes. what caught your attention. I, I mean, it's amazing. It's, it's wild. Ah, uh, the 90s for the win. The 90s were, they were a time, they were a thing. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden I started to get a lot of attention from girls, from women. And it was like this charge all of a sudden where I was like, oh, I'm, I'm good at, it felt like I was good at yeah. something. I'm good at getting women's attention. I'm good at attracting women. And it became an outlet for me. And this is, you know, found pornography early on as a kid. And so, you know, I found porn. I found that I could attract women. And that became this sort of game that I was very interested in playing and that I was very interested in trying to master. And so all of a sudden this, I don't feel worthy. I don't feel like I have a lot of value. I don't feel good at a lot of things. I found an outlet Mm -hmm. and it was through sex. It was through, you know, trying to get attention from women. Mm -hmm. And so all of this insecurity that had been building for years and years and years and years and years finally had an outlet where it could feel like I was disproving those insecurities of not feeling good enough, not feeling wanted by other people, Mm -hmm. not feeling capable in certain areas. And so it really impacted my schooling. You know, I started skipping class, you know, to go hang out. I would sneak out of the house and yada, yada, yada. And so I think like the long story short is it really, you know, I think in today's language, we'd probably use language like I struggled with a porn addiction Mm -hmm. and I was watching more porn than TV most weeks, which is not healthy. And probably some like low grade sex addiction, you know, where I was in relationships, but definitely having relationships outside of my relationships Mm -hmm. and pretty consistently. And it became like this drug that I needed to have. And outside of that, I was pretty lost. I didn't really have direction in what I was doing with my life or any type of career path. You know, I got out of high school and started working construction. And I really had to work tirelessly to try and counter some of this behavior. I partied a lot, I drank a lot, 
And, you know, it was just, it was a lot of coping mechanisms, numbing out mm. and getting into bar fights, trying to avoid this deep insecurity, but also this deep pain that I had been carrying that I didn't want people to really know or or see. Yeah. And so this, you know, I think that's maybe contextualizing it yeah. a little bit. You had found a solution. I'll use that word loosely, but you had found a solution that was putting some type of balm on the wound, right? It's like, mm -hmm. okay, every time I make contact with a woman who finds me attractive or wants to be with me or wants to pursue something with me, it's something that helps me avoid the pain. Yes. Right? Yeah. Which, you know, we take that trail a little bit further and see that, okay, sure, there's a little bit of a balm there, but it is avoiding the pain and not having you confront it. And dot, 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 it also gets you into a place where you can't be faithful. You can't maintain relationships. You hurt people. You let people down. You disappoint mm -hmm. people. I know it's not an easy thing to talk about. and Well, especially because like infidelity and quote unquote cheaters, yeah. there's a lot of hostility. And sure. I kept hearing the like, you know, once cheaters. A cheater, yeah, once a cheater, a cheater, always a cheater. Like cheaters never change and mm -hmm. and that type of stuff. And so it reinf it reinforced in some ways that there was something wrong with me. Like mm -hmm. reinforced that I'm broken mentality and experience that I was already carrying. I already felt broken. Yeah. Right. I already felt like there was something wrong with me growing up before any of those behaviors started. Mm -hmm. And so it's like those behaviors reinforced that wounding and the. I was going to make a witty analogy, like the bomb, the solve became a bomb, yeah. you know, it became a ticking time bomb where it, it was very self-destructive. I think the bomb, knowing, knowing your history, <laughs> the bomb went off a few times, Connor Beaton. <laughs> went off um, a few times, and, yeah. uh, you know, you, <laughs> Thanks, you persisted for, Thanks, I appreciate that. <laughs> you persisted for a while, but I, you know, I think sometimes, you know, what gets us to a place where it, something makes us actually look, you mm. know, something actually is like big enough, strong enough, destructive enough to say, okay, I really, this, th this system that I have going that I think is me outsmarting and out strengthening, you know, the thing that was trying to take me down in the first place, like it's not working. It's mm. not working. My life is not the way that I want my life to be. My relationships are not what I want my relationships to be. Yes, from the outside looking in, maybe I have people deceived. For sure. Right? Yeah. But when I like open my eyes to my my own inner world and what's actually going on and face that, like it's it's not good in here. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm curious what that final maybe moment or crack, you know, was mm. that got you to look at yourself and actually confront uh, to use your language, right? To actually confront the stuff that needed to be confronted. I bottomed out. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I just bottomed out. And, you know, all these behaviors, drinking behind the scenes, infidelity, porn, you know, a lot of it. Mm -hmm. I was in a relationship with a woman that was wonderful in many ways, and I really cared about her. And yeah. she was, she really was 
you know, good human being. Mm -hmm. And I think there was something about the quality of like her innocence and her ability to care and her love that reminded me of my younger self. Mm -hmm. And I think when I, you know, when she found out all the stuff that I had been doing, I think it really devastated me because I felt like I had inflicted pain onto her in a very similar way that I had felt. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't unsee it. I couldn't get away from it. I couldn't talk my way out of it. I couldn't get around it. It was just yeah. like this, the the pain showed up and was like, no, actually like I'm bigger than you right now and you mm. need to address me. That's interesting. Yeah. I know the moment I think where like you couldn't unsee it. I'm curious when you're talking about her innocence, I, I think a little bit of what I took from what you just said was like, even though you were hurting her and disappointing her, there was still this this woman or at least a part of her that was maybe reflecting back to you that you were still worthy of something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, yeah, like <laughs> that's, that's so emotional for me to to like even try to consider or visualize, you know, that experience or just connect to it, right? To like, I'm putting myself in your shoes for a moment and sort of embodying what it's like to hurt somebody in that way and then to see mirrored back to you, someone still saying like, you you know, you're still worthy even mm-hmm. though you are doing this. Now, I might not want to be in relationship with you and the consequence might be that we are, you know, we are, we're not to be together anymore, right? Yeah. Um, and obviously our behaviors do have consequences, but to still be able to offer you that gift, right, that says like you're, you are still deserving of something, right? Mm-hmm. And you are still worthy of something, I think feels very potent to me. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's sort of two parts of it that were interesting. Like on the on the one hand was being in a relationship like that with somebody, there was this question sometimes that was like, how could the story that I have about myself and my lack mm-hmm. of worth and value and this insecurity that is constantly nagging at me and you know, I had a I had a really vicious inner dialogue, like really abusive self-dialogue. My self-talk was heinous. It was really bad. And like abusive is definitely a word that I would use. And that came from somewhere mm-hmm. and it was a learned behavior. But all of a sudden to find myself in a relationship where it's like, well, how can these stories that and this perspective that I have about myself be true when somebody like that is choosing me? Mm-hmm. Like it was so messed up. I was like, I don't get this. And so it made me want to move out of those stories, the self-shame, the self-hatred, the vitriol that I had toward myself, the insecurities. You know, that dynamic sort of woke me up a little bit. And then the self-destruction that I, you know, Mm -hmm. the path that I went down that, that caused that relationship to crumble, to collapse, I think in some ways allowed me to actually address some of those things, you know, and and to want to confront them and to not, because I I could tell, like, hiding this stuff just wasn't working anymore. Let's take one last break. We'll be right back. Mm 
Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. So it brings you to rock bottom. Yes. And I, I think it's I think it, it would be interesting to know like what has to recover. You know, this isn't an overnight process, obviously. And you still hurt people after that yes. relationship too. Yeah. And and so right, it's not this overnight thing that that switches and changes, but you you step onto a journey, onto a path of sort of being in relationship with self, I think, differently mm-hmm. um, yeah. and looking at some of these things and maybe becoming more accountable without getting too lost in the weeds, maybe to just share one or two things that started to build a sense of worthiness and a sense of value. Because I think what you described before is that so much of it was this external thing, right? Mm-hmm. If I can get somebody else to want to be with me or to choose me or to love me, right, then I'm going to get this like little hit and ounce of like, okay, I am worthy. I am deserving. To shift that from external to internal is no easy task, yeah. but curious what some of the things were that actually got you on that path to finding an inner worthiness that could not be taken from you, Mm. only taken by you, Mm -hmm. right? I think one of the things that I keep coming back to, there's a guy named Francis Weller who has a great quote that says, our ability to belong is dependent on our willingness to be known. Mm Right, And so we could translate that as our ability to be loved, to be loved, is dependent on our ability to be known by another. Yes. And I realized after that relationship that no one really knew who I was. Mm -hmm. In fact, no one really knew a lot of who I was. I had hidden a lot. Yeah. about who I was. And I had hidden a lot from myself because I, I lied. I was, you know, I lied a lot. Mm-hmm. I lied to myself, I lied to others, I lied to friends, I lied to family. And so no one actually really knew who I was because I was constantly trying to shapeshift to figure out who do you need me to be? Mm-hmm. Who do you want me to be? What's going to get love and validation from you and praise from you? And so a huge part of what I had to do was start to practice transparency and mm-hmm. honesty and just telling the truth regardless of what it was and a big part of that was talking about you know i was fortunate because i had a mentor in my life who you know was much older his name was bernard he was in his 70s and he you know in some ways he really saved my life because he mm-hmm. took me under his wing and taught me a tremendous amount about psychology and how the mind works and i mean i studied jungian psychology with him for a number of years and i think in some ways that was a 
a sort of training ground of transparency and honesty. Yeah. You know, where I just started to tell him what I was dealing with. <laughs> and I started to let him into the inner landscape of who I was and what I was carrying. Some of the fears, the insecurities, you know, he was one of the first people that asked me, like, how do you talk to yourself? Hmm. Like, what does that actually sound like? And I would tell him, you know, I would say, here's like what just happened. Here's what I said to myself. And I was met with this beautiful compassion and empathy for how I was speaking to myself and how angry and, and vitriolic and, and just spiteful and shaming I was towards myself. And slowly, you know, that sort of, I don't know if we want to call it confession, but like mm -hmm. that ability to just let somebody into my inner world and say, this is what's going on. Yeah. And for him to accept me, for him to, you know, have a, a love and a care for me mm -hmm. and to not, you know, leave because that was happening was wonderfully healing. Yeah, it's it's really some of the most beautiful experiences any human can have, right? To be revealed and mm. for someone to actually just hold in that space with you. Yeah. And it not be too much and it not scare someone away. And listen, that's not that doesn't have to actually be the goal for every dyad interaction there is. Like some things might not align for you, but I think that there's something so beautiful and so profound and so healing that when you start to take the mask off and you do start to fully reveal yourself and you let people into your inner world and you see that they're okay with it, right? It it changes the fabric. Right? It really does. And I think in mm -hmm. many ways changes the history and the story that you know we carry. Yeah, it was almost like as I let someone else see the parts of myself that I didn't like, yes, that I really despised, and that I had a lot of shame around and anger around. And to have those be accepted and you know out in the open and just like in the relationship, even just mm -hmm. having them in the relationship was massively transformational yeah. and then to start to do that in all the rest of my life like mm -hmm. i really I've, I've talked about this with some of the men that i've worked with it's like i had to go through a period of practicing honesty like yes. literally making it a daily practice of just telling the truth about whatever it was mm -hmm. because i had become so conditioned towards just like little things of misinformation, little embellishments, little right. like mistruths. Mm. It was really wild. And when I started to get, when I started to pay attention to it, I was like, damn, like I lie about the stupidest crap that just yeah. doesn't even matter. Yeah. And so I really had to practice that for a long time. And it took me a long time because I was so used to hiding parts yeah. of myself. And then you decided to partner with someone who doesn't miss a beat. Yeah, right? Uh-huh. Lord. Right, like any embellishment, <laughs> any little thing that's just slightly off. I know. I'm like, Zoom. Yeah, you're like a psychological <laughs> lawyer sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that there's so much to tell, but I think worth us maybe dipping our toe in to talk a little bit about our relationship. And obviously there's been an evolution in our relationship. We've been together for, you know, seven and a half years, I guess now, right? Yeah. About that. Yeah. And I'm thinking about the beginning of our relationship because I think entry points mm -hmm. often stir up a lot. And 
I wonder a little bit about, even though you had done so much of this work, and you were practicing these things, and you were becoming very diligent with yourself, right, and disciplined, you meet me, and we start a relationship eventually. And I'm curious if there were things that got activated around the worthiness wound. So again, like, yes, it's you're doing a good job with it. You, you feel like it's placed in a good place. Mm. But here comes this new relationship, this new dynamic. And I think we all know that just because you, like, <laughs> quote, unquote, heal something, <laughs> you know, work, right? Yeah. It's like, does doesn't mean that thing does not get activated again. Yeah. So, yeah, can you maybe speak a little bit to the beginning of our relationship and what you noticed internally within yourself around worthiness? Yeah, I think there's a, a couple things. One, you were very established already mm-hmm. when we when we met. Like you were very established professionally. I had been running my company. You know, I'd worked for Apple, built up Man Talks on the side, yeah. exited Apple, and was really just running my company full time. But I was like, what, like a year and a half in, mm-hmm. maybe, and so. I was new into this, like, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm running my own business. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of, like, shaky ground that I was trying to figure a bunch of things out. And you were very established. I mean, you were already one of the top therapists in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And so there was a little bit of, like, it was a little confronting for me because I think in the beginning it was like, well, you're very successful already. And you're in the top of your fields, you know, and at that time I was like, you have this big following online and, you know, I, I, I did not. And, and so I think that was a little bit confronting. It was motivating and inspiring in, in another way, yeah. but it was a little confronting because it activated that part of me that was like, am I good enough Mm. to be with this person who's already established professionally? Mm -hmm. And do I need to prove myself? And in the past where I would go, if I didn't feel like I was at the same level as the other person, I would find myself in this pattern of like trying to prove myself, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to bolster myself up, whether that was through talking bigger about myself or, you know, whatever it was. And so I, I definitely found that that pattern showed up in the beginning of our dynamic mm-hmm. uh, where I caught myself sometimes wanting to like prove myself to you mm-hmm. or get your validation or your praise or your recognition for what I was doing, what, what I was building. Mm-hmm. And so, but that, I think that faded relatively quickly. How do you think being with me helped you and by help, I mean, you know, challenged you probably to stick to the things that you had been committed to. I was joking before about, you know, and then you partnered with someone who just like tracks every, you know, but I wonder a little bit actually about how having someone who's like, no, you know, like who mm-hmm. just sort of sees where the embellishment was and you have not done any of that in a very long time. But I do remember it actually <laughs> in the beginning of the relationship where I'd be like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, no, (laughs) no, that's not okay here, you know? And so I do wonder a little bit about like, oh, that partnering and what sort of the... Well, because I was also entering into a very different world. Like I was in Vancouver. All of a sudden I find myself in Manhattan. I'm hanging out with very different people in Manhattan who 
Yeah. You know, it was like everybody's very, at the top of their everybody's game. Everybody's at the top Every, of their game. Yeah. You know, people, I was just like, all of a sudden, I'm around people that have more money than yeah. I've ever seen in my life right. growing up in central Alberta. Sure. And I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> like, this is yeah. totally foreign territory. What was it like for me? I think, I think in some ways, it was interesting because I felt like we matched each other in some in in some very crucial ways, mm-hmm. where yeah, you you would do that, but I also was able to meet you in that space. Yeah, you know, it's like you're very good at tracking things, and I'm very good at going deep into things, mm-hmm. and so it was almost like we brought each other something that each of us was not missing, but maybe could use work on yeah. <laughs> for lack oh, of a better sure. term. And so I think I started to see that early on. <laughs> yeah, but this is about your worthiness. I know, it's <laughs> about my worthiness, but like mm. <laughs> no, no, remember yeah, which yeah, yeah, where yeah, the yeah. tables yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I think there was this evenness yeah. that started to show up. And I think secondly, we would get in the arena mm. together. Like you and I would get in the arena and sometimes it wasn't pretty, you know, and it wasn't like perfect, but I found myself being more willing to not back down Mm -hmm. with you than in any other relationship and kind of like stand up and be like, no, this isn't okay with me or I don't like that. Or here's how I actually feel, you know, here's what I actually want. And I think that there was something because that's just who you are. It's who you've always been. Like, you just have this, like, brash sort of bold willingness to be like, I don't like that. I like mm-hmm. this. I don't want that. I want that, you know? And because you are so transparent, you, you've you always been that way, there was something about that that sort of emboldened me. I was like, oh, well, if, if you can do that, I can too. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a, I can do it better. It was just, yeah. it's safe for me to do that here mm-hmm. and to figure this part out in our relationship. And... You know, sometimes that's caused power battles between us and it's caused some challenges. But for the most part, it really allowed me to step into this part of myself that I had annexed from relationships Mm -hmm. before, that I Mm -hmm. left out. Because part of being the chameleon and part of feeling like I don't have worth and value was that I would generally, when conflict or something that I didn't like happened in a relationship... I would be like, I'm fine with that. It's okay. And then I would go get my needs met somewhere else. I would build resentment. Mm -hmm. I would just deal with it in this offloading way instead of actually confronting it and being willing to talk about it in the relationship. And so it's almost like our dynamic Mm -hmm. emboldened me to lean more into this element of myself that... Like, I don't want to say confrontational, but like a willingness to be more direct, more assertive, more forward, more transparent than I'd ever been in any other relationship. I I love what you're saying. I've never heard you say this before or describe it this way. And I, I haven't thought of it this way either. And yeah, I, you know, confrontational. I, I don't know if that's the right word, but I, I understand what you mean by yeah. it. 
And I think there is something so powerful about what you're describing, right? To like witness something in someone else that then invites you to do the same. And that that is the medicine that you've been looking for, right? That's like you get to bring all of yourself here. And sure, even if it is confrontational at times, right? Even if we enter into a power struggle sometimes. I mean, granted, we have very good tools to navigate those things, but to be able to just bring yourself forward, all of it, right? The boundary you want to set, the frustration that you might be carrying, whatever it is, I think, you know, we both know that it's welcome here. And I guess I'm hearing you say that that was so healing and maybe continues to be because it allows you to stay, you Mm -hmm. know, and believe and trust that we will get through hard things together and we will resolve and we will get to the other side however many times over that we need to do it. And God knows it has to be many times over and <laughs> over and over again. We are it happens. Stubborn, <laughs> stubborn hearts sometimes. Stubborn hearts. But yeah, I think we probably ought to name the ways that it still might get activated because I don't want to paint a picture again that like you do this and then you put it down and then it never shows its face again. Mm. You know, we know that that's not the reality of what our pain and wounds are. And sometimes there can be a lot of space in between it. The charge changes, the frequency at which something maybe gets activated, its cadence, right, will, will change over time. But I guess maybe... You know, in what ways do you think your worthiness wound, you know, still to this day gets rubbed up against? And, Mm. you know, you're a father now, too, and we can thread that into this conversation as well because, oh, am I a good enough father? Am I a good enough this? How am I, you know, I imagine there's a lot of those questions that can come up. But, yeah, maybe just speak here for a moment to the way that you are aware of its presence in Mm -hmm. your life today and when it pops its head up? I do want to say, first and foremost, that it is exponentially better than it used to be. Yeah. And it's because I I do want people to understand that when you do some of the things or take on some of the things that we've been talking about, you can make significant progress. Mm -hmm. Like what my life is like today and what it was like a decade ago are so radically different that sometimes it's hard for me to like really comprehend. Yeah. And not just my external life, but my internal life yeah. feels so dramatically different. And that is such a gift that I I wish for everybody. So I'll just say that. Doesn't mean that it's fully gone. I think there's a couple of things in my career and in my business. One, you know, I think I've been more successful and this isn't like a toot my own horn thing, but I've been more successful than my past self thought that I could be. Mm -hmm. And that is confusing sometimes. And so how the worthiness wound or how, you know, that aspect shows up is sometimes I feel this pressure to maintain this level of excellence and this standard and to maintain, you know, where I'm Mm -hmm. at. And it can lead me close to the territory of perfectionism. It can lead me to this place where it's like, don't want to have flaws, don't want to, you know, need to maintain this certain level of excellence that I know can be problematic, mm-hmm. right? And so I think in my career, my business, that can happen. I'm also very ambitious now. And so there's there's just a lot that I want to do and accomplish. And I have such a different level of believing in myself now that 
you know, I think there's just room for that to be okay sometimes. Mm -hmm. In parenting, I find that one of the areas that that old voice of being really hard on myself can show up in is actually with our son. Mm. Where if I do something that, and I can like feel that that's emotional right there, mm. I was going to name that. Where if I do something that I don't like as a parent, mm -hmm. you know, if I raise my voice yeah. at him or I don't handle something properly or, you know, like when we were in Coeur d'Alene and I left with my backpack with my, all <laughs> yeah. of our passports, you know, and, and my computer in the, you know, Airbnb and we're 50 minutes away and it's 4.30 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I just like, you know, I had a meltdown. I was so pissed with myself. So it shows up in these places, in specifically in parenting, because I feel this pressure to try and protect my son from the deep, deep pain that I felt as a kid. Mm -hmm. Like it is substantial, the level of pressure that I sometimes feel to get it right with him because I know he's going to go through pain. Mm -hmm. I know he's going to go through immense hardship. And I want to do everything in my power to make sure that that pain and hardship isn't because of me. Yeah. And sometimes that can that's really hard to deal with. And so I see it coming up in those areas. Mm -hmm. And I really have to work with myself to be like, you know, it, it's okay. I'm going to get it wrong. Like I've said, I say this all the time. It's like, there's no such thing as a perfect parent. Right. There just isn't. But I do find myself falling into the trap of trying to be one. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. And I think it pops up in our relationship sometimes probably as well. But, you know, I think in our relationship, it's become a little bit easier to just be direct about mm -hmm. when it's there. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think we have the dynamic where like sometimes... You know, you'll point it out. Like, we just do that for each other. It's mm -hmm. like, are you okay right now? Are you in this space right now? Is this happening? Are you okay? Are you okay? <laughs> you know, you're putting steak into the toaster <laughs> oven. <laughs> What's happening? So, yeah, I mean, I think those those are some of the main ways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's such a good reminder to maintain reflective about these things. Yes. Right? To not put something down and believe that it will never show up again, right? To befriend it and to be with it. And like you said, exponentially better than 10 years ago. And it's also a part of your story and it remains a part of your story. And so to be reflective of that part, to check in with it from time to time, to, you know, be brave enough to notice it when it does show up, you know, that is the wisdom. Mm -hmm. Thank you for being on my show. It's an honor to have you here. It's an honor to have your wisdom shared with me and the listeners. I said this on our wedding day that you're the greatest man that I know. Mm. That remains the same. However, many years later, grateful to have a man like you in my life, mm. grateful to have a man like you in the world, grateful to have a man like you leading other men. Mm. So, Thank you. I love you. I love you too. And hope to have you back here one day. I will be. I hope what you heard today was helpful. If you like the show, tell your friends and loved ones to listen. It would also mean so much to me if you could rate and review This Keeps Happening on Apple Podcasts. 
This Keeps Happening is hosted by me, Vienna Farron. This episode was produced by Anita Flores. Our engineers are Jared O'Connell and Brendan Burns. Our theme music is by Casey Holford. Our managing producer is Tamika Weatherspoon. Our executive producers are Josephine Martirana from Stitcher Studios, Keith O'Connell, and Will Rogers from Soundbite Entertainment. If you'd like to reach out, you can email us at thiskeepshappening at stitcher.com. This podcast is not a substitute for therapy, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. It is for informational purposes only. Stitcher. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.